That was beautiful. Thank you so much. What a wonderful job you have done as substitute musicians. I'm very proud of you. <laughs> and I think you're proud too. Yes. Well, here I am back again. <laughs> Every time. <laughs> I think always it'll be the last. This is the last time. <laughs> Because I'm old, I'm really, really old. <laughs> I, I'm so old, my walker has airbags. <laughs> They've retired my blood type. <laughs> and my birthday cake is a prairie fire. So <laughs> Thank you, Phyllis Diller. <laughs> I'm nearly as old as the Daily Word. It will be 100 years old, July 1st. And Ellen Devonport has edited this book. It has selected uh, Daily Word readings from July 1st, 20, uh, 1924. Uh, you'll want to have access to this. Uh, she's subdivided them by subjects which makes it handy and nice. I can see lots of use of that in the coming days. I, I feel joy in my heart and hope in my mind. And I wanted to talk to you today about belief. Belief leads to thoughts and thoughts lead to feelings and feelings lead to behavior. Your behavior is nothing more than the words you speak, the tone of voice, the facial expression, body posture, gestures, and movements. That's behavior. If I want to know what you believe, I watch your behavior. It will show me. And my story, I have to tell, I have to be somewhat autobiographical. That's kind of all I know anymore. My story began on the plains of Texas, out east of Lubbock in a country farmhouse. Uh, my grandfather's home, I had a home birth in his back bedroom. And when I was three years old, they lost me. <laughs> How, it, it, they couldn't figure out. But my aunt who lived there, she was a spinster. Uh, she took care of me while my mother taught school. So I had four grown-ups, my aunt, my grandfather, my father, and my mother, eight eyes watching me all the time. <laughs> and we were devout Christians, Baptists, and so there were stringencies. There were many things that we had to avoid, like sin. Uh, <laughs> so, And so they were uh, looking in the barn, in the, in the outdoor privy, the toilet, we called it, and in the orchard, and they couldn't find me. I was probably about three years old. And finally, my mother went around the corner of the house, and she heard a little voice saying, Hear me, am. Hear me, am. And I had hidden under the house getting away from all those eyes watching me. <laughs> and I think that would kind of express our 
presence today. Here you are. Here I am. Here we are together one more time. And that story, I have to tell a little more of the, and some of you have heard this, and I'm sorry, I apologize. But uh, you could get through school out in Rawls, Texas, in a very short time because they didn't have that much to teach. <laughs> and so, so I, I skipped a few grades and graduated from high school when I was 15. And I had read the college catalog at West Texas State, which was my favorite school. I didn't want to go to Texas Tech and love it. I wanted to go to West Texas State where my grandparents lived and where my mother and my, her brother and many of our family had gone. So I read the catalog and I, oh, I also wanted to be a secretary uh, so I could dress up. Uh, <laughs> In those days, women could only be teachers, nurses, or secretaries. It never occurred to me I could be a lawyer or that I could uh, be a college professor, nothing like that. So I chose secretary and signed up for a BBA, Bachelor's in Business Administration. Reading the catalog, I saw I could get it in three years if I uh, went to, uh, summers as well as fall and spring. So there I am. And my parents wrote me a letter. They didn't call me. They didn't come and see me. They just wrote a letter and said, we've sold the farm. And we're moving to Westlaco. And you'll be uh, transferring either to Texas College of Arts and Industries in Kingsville or to Saul Ross in Alpine. They didn't know much geography. so. <laughs> Saul Ross was 500 miles from Westlaco. <laughs> and so I ended up in Kingsville, Texas, 16 years old, a college sophomore. And I was pretty sure because of my sins and my guilt that uh, they had done this some way. It was God's punishment, I guess. And uh, so I showed up at church the first Sunday morning and was there Wednesday night. Sunday morning, uh, and I, you can guess it was Baptist. You, you either were Baptist, Methodist, or Church of Christ in my growing up. There was not a Catholic church or any other denomination. So there I am, Kingsville, Texas, and a returning World War II veteran saw me playing the piano and said, that's the one I'm going to marry. <laughs> and he... <laughs> eventually informed me of that. <laughs> and I said, well, but I have to graduate first. So he waited until I graduated. And so I'm 18 years old. I got my BBA on a Monday. And the next Sunday, he and I married uh, on our little honeymoon up to Kerrville, Texas. He said, how many children do you want? And I said, oh, four. Two girls, two boys. I had only had a brother, and I thought I would have liked a sister, and I thought my children needed siblings. He said, okay, and I said, okay. And uh, he said, how are you going to support? I asked him, how are you going to support me and these four children that we're going to have? He said, well, I'd like to teach school. And I said, well, then 
perhaps you need a PhD and teach at the college level because that's where the money is. <laughs> I've been married to two college professors. That is not where the money is. <laughs> but we set about, we were married in 1947. 1950, we had a girl. 1953, we had a boy. In 1956, we had a girl. In 59, we had a boy. <laughs> Ka-ching. And he got the PhD about 1958. So there we were. Three years after that, he died. Yeah. There I was. <laughs> uh, four children. Our PhD that we had earned died with him. And up to that time, I had sort of thought it was my PhD, but it wasn't. So the children were kind of orphaned. <laughs> their daddy had died and their mother kind of flipped out. And I sent out a Christmas card that year, some of you have heard this story, uh, with me and the four children on it. I now know it was my first marketing campaign. <laughs> I was... <laughs> advertising me and these four children for sale. <laughs> but nobody came. <laughs> no applicants. Uh, so I thought, well, it looks like it's up to me. I'll go back to school. And by that time, I had had some counseling, and I decided that I could do that. I like people. I like to listen to people. I like their stories. So I, uh, I went back to school. I signed up for, I had my degree in business, but now I signed up for psychology and a master's degree and a counselor's certificate. And the man who was the head of the program was Dr. Paul Barlow, a bachelor. <laughs> and, and I got the degree and the husband about the same time. <laughs> so. And he said, do you want any more children? I said, no. <laughs> we have enough children. And so we set about with that step family, too. Now, he was Lutheran. And I went over to the Lutheran church to um, join. I supposed I should go to church with my husband. Then I found out they didn't even let women vote. At least in the Baptist church, I could vote. And so we just quit going to church. It seemed a sensible thing to do. <laughs> and, and then we had a surprise child late in life. I'm on a 20-year plan of 1950, 1970, have a child. And um, the Methodist pastor lived across the street from us, and uh, he saw an opportunity. So. Uh, since Paul wanted her baptized, we ended up being Methodist for a while. And during that time, we built a community counseling agency uh, and got some King Ranch money and some federal funds and uh, started a community family guidance services, it was called. Paul was the first chairman of the board, and I was the first counselor. And that set about our, our journey together. Uh, that story, thank you for listening to it. It's fun to tell. But you have your story. We all have a story. We're the author, the actor, and the audience of our story. So I would love to get to know you and get to know your story. But my primary 
thing I wanted to mention is how my beliefs have changed. I, all of those early years, God was an entity that we prayed to. It was some person, almost, it was masculine, male. The Bible was all masculine pronouns. I realized when I was doing my psychotherapy that that had excluded me, that I could never feel that I was a part of the kingdom and never could feel that I was saved because uh, the pronouns excluded me. Interesting how strong and how powerful pronouns can be. Yeah. So um, I've come up with this idea that beliefs govern us. And Charles Fillmore said, um, since my biggest belief was the shift in the God concept from God as a being to God as beingness itself, and that you, me, all of us are part of that beingness. If God were the ocean, we'd be the waves. I got that from this lovely book. Uh, it's written by, you may remember, Linda Martella Whitsitt. Oh, yeah? Yeah. She was, I think, pastor at uh, New Braunfels, was she? San Antonio. San Antonio, yeah. And Deanne Weir-Morency. They've written this book called Discover Your Divinity, and it's on affirmative prayer. Every thought you think is a prayer governing your life and directing your life. And so this old man up in the sky, this Santa Claus God, has shifted in my belief structure. And I now see you, and I see God. I feel your presence. I feel your power. I feel your inventiveness, your creativeness. There's nobody else in the world like you. You're one of a kind. And you have miracles to do, this person that is you. So again, Charles Fillmore, he said, God is not like a man. God is omnipresent spirit, accessible just like electricity, just like sunshine, just like air to your mind and your thoughts. And Myrtle Fillmore said, God is neither male nor female, but principle. God is not a cold, senseless principle like that of mathematics, but the principles of life, love, and intelligence. God is life. God is love. Not a being, but beingness itself. You're a being of worth. How would your life be different if you totally believed that? There's no need to be perfect. There's no need to be pleasing. There's no need to be anything other than who you are. I loved the, Paul went on, as many of you know, to become a children's play therapist. And I had my practice across the hall from his play therapy room. And he had a plaque that I still have. Well, it's two plaques. It says, children are not objects to be molded. They are persons to be unfolded. And what a lovely way to allow 
a child to emerge as the godling that they are. So here we come to this lovely day when we have our white stone. It's a new year, a new you, everything beginning again. And you choose a word that is going to be your watchword for the year. How many of you have already chosen your word? It's about half of you. So some of you are still in process. And uh, I think as I look back, Paul and I joined this congregation in 2010. I've collected a sizable number of these stones. And I looked at my words and I saw that many of them were the powers. They're, you see them around the room on the banners hanging in this lovely building. And uh, so if you're looking for a resource for your words, that's a good way to find that. Uh, the Jerusalem stone, these were quarried in uh, near Jerusalem, well, Bethlehem, <laughs> actually the birthplace, and Hebron. And so any name or word that has an inspirational value to you can be written on it for this year, 2024. It's going to serve as guidance through your year. It's your watchword, and it will allow you to become who you were meant to be. Who are you? Who could you be? You have an ear. In Revelations 22, uh, 17, regarding the stone, you have an ear. Let you hear what the Spirit says. To you who overcome, you're given some of the hidden manna. You're also given a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to you who receive it. Let's take this into meditation now. Quieting your mind and your body, letting yourself be still and relaxed. Close your eyes if you're comfortable doing that. And go into the quiet. and know yourself to be whole and complete. Become that wave on the ocean of God. Wherever you are, whoever you are. Let yourself know divine life is expressing through you.
you can know your truth for this coming year. You can know the word that will speak your truth. Allow your awareness now to give you your word. Let it come to you. Feeling gratitude for your new word in this new year. And when you're ready, open your eyes and mindfully write your word on your white stone. And so it is. Thank you very much.